everyone, welcome to another episode of The Teacher's Point of View. This week's episode, we have Dave Malakai, a Deputy Principal in London Enterprise Academy in Tower Hamlets, London. Uh, he talks about his journey with the school over the pandemic and uh, actually since he's, he's been awarded a headship role in North London. Uh, congratulations, Dave, and I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Thanks. Hi, Dave. Um, um, so obviously, welcome to the um, Teacher's Voice podcast. Um, if, if you could just give everyone a little bit of an introduction to yourself, that would be that'd be fantastic. OK, good morning. So my name is Dave Malakai and I hold the privileged position of being the deputy head teacher of London Enterprise Academy in London, which is an 11 to 16 free school um, based on the city fringe um, in the west of tower hamlets right what, what what's the like the general um sort of demographics of the school so we i mean we serve an absolutely brilliant community so predominantly um um community members from uh, fr from bangladesh and from somalia um as well as a smattering of eastern european students right. um uh the, the community we serve um it's quite diverse. So you have absolute poverty sitting next to relative wealth. Um, and that in itself can cause um, problems, but also opportunities. Yeah, of course. I mean, do you, do you, like most of the students, um, are, is English their second language? Yes, indeed. And in some cases, third or fourth language. Oh, really? How, yeah. how is that to teach? Um, <laughs> Lots of planning, lots of differentiation, and lots of creativity. Um, at the end of the day, as a teacher, um, it's your responsibility to do the absolute best by the children. So you find ways. We're very lucky in our school. We have um, a brilliant access to learning team who provide our students with um, additional in-class and out-of-class -cl out support. Sure. Um, so, yeah, can be a challenge, but... Um, if you focus in on what the children really need, um, actually that challenge can be quite fun. Really? Okay. I mean, so you're obviously a deputy um, principal, you said. Um, yeah. Like, what's your journey been to, to get into where you are today? Oh, God. <laughs> right. So I've held a number of roles. Um, I've taught every year group from nursery right the way through to year 14. Right. Um, and I've also been involved in teacher education uh, as well. Um, a very interested route, rather convoluted. Um, you know, I've taught in primary, I've taught in secondary, I've taught in further education and sixth forms. Yep. Um, I'm an Ofsted inspector um, as well. And so my journey has been um, a bit of a meandering path, if you like. Um, I've always been a bit like, I, I love teaching. It's the one thing that absolutely inspires me. And so when I look back at my career, I've always been a bit like the kid in the candy shop. <laughs> so I always wanted a bit of this and a bit of that, and I wanted to try this and I wanted to do this. Um, and so when you look at my CV, it looks quite fractured uh, because that hasn't been that natural progression through. Right. Um, but what I do, what I have picked up along the way is um, a huge amount of experience and experience which has really been informed by the, the children and young people that I've taught Sure. I mean, you know, like through through my experience, I mean, I've been a recruiter for over five and a half years and um, 
it, obviously one of the things that schools tend to say is if somebody's kind of moved around a lot, it's kind of almost has a negative view on, on that person. But I mean, you, you've done really well because you've kind of like gone against that view and, and you've obviously moved around a little bit, but I mean, you've still really done, you've done really well to progress in your career. And obviously you're a deputy principal now. So, I mean, what, what would you say to that? I mean, th there is a lot of um, prejudice to people who have moved around quite a bit. You know, the assumption being if you can't stay in one place for more than five minutes. Yeah. Um, conversely, I have seen colleagues who have been in the same school or college for 20, 30 years. I'll say no more. <laughs> um, um, what I what I what I'd like to think and what I think I've demonstrated is that I have a wealth of experience um, that I'm able to bring to an organisation, um, and also you know thinking about some of our younger teachers today, it's incredibly difficult to live in London, and so you are going to see a great deal of mobility. Um, I think as teachers come to terms with the economic situation and the need to to move around quite a bit yeah absolutely um, but yeah no it has been you know um there has been um questions as well why have you moved about you know what is wrong with you and actually there is nothing wrong with me i've just wanted to experience and um sample different contexts and, and i do think that certainly in a school like mine having primary experience having experience in teacher education having experience in in inspection um, and having experience in um, further education, it's equipped me with a whole load of tools, yeah. I feel, that I, I can take and apply. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like, did you always know you wanted to become a teacher? Absolutely not. <laughs> what, was, what was the route before teaching? So, um, I, my, my, so I come from a family of teachers and I was absolutely adamant I was not going to follow in that <laughs> Um, oh God, no. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, so, so I, I started my career as an education social worker with the old Inner London Education Authority. Okay. So going back quite a bit, you know, I had hair then and was like a quarter <laughs> of the size that I am. Um, I always worked with children and young people. I always found that aspect of work really, really rewarding. Um, and, oh God, about 30 about 30 years ago, um, I worked um, in, a, in, a, in a social care organisation that expanded into education and by default became head of education and training. And then the rest is history, I guess. I, I, I got the bub. I got the bug rather, I should say. Bub? Bug? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, and how long have you been in teaching now then, like in total? Um, longer than you've been alive. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know about that one. Um, I mean, like, what are the seven last seven months been like then? It's been really difficult. Well, I think the first thing I would would have to do is to pay tribute to our students and their families and their teachers. It's been incredibly tough. Our school serves, um, as I said earlier, um, a community which um, experiences significant deprivation sitting alongside wealth. For a lot of our families, um, they live in poor housing conditions, um, up to 12 members of a family in a two bedroom um, flat, um, parents working multiple low paid jobs 
in order to put food on the table. When lockdown came along, our families didn't have the luxury of furlough. They went from income to no income overnight. Um, the whole system of universal credit meant that for a lot of our families, you know, um, accessing state funding was really, really difficult. And so one of the things that we did as a school was make the decision not only to provide free school meals, but actually to feed whole families for seven oh, wow. days a week. Yeah. That's, that's so, well, what do you do? You know, we, we can't expect children to engage in learning if, if they're hungry. And actually, we have a moral responsibility. You know, we're not just about educating. We're actually there to care for the children and to support the extended family. Um, and it wasn't just our school. So I'm thinking of um, a number of schools, Woodside School um, over in Haringey, um, under the leadership of Jerry Robinson. They did an amazing job. Schools in Tower Hamlets, the food banks, we all worked together to make sure that our families got fed. But we had teachers at till nine o'clock at night delivering um, food to families. That's amazing. Um, it, it's what you do, you know, as I said, you know, it isn't just about teaching. We have a, we have a professional and a moral responsibility to our families. Um, but yeah, no, it has been tough. I think the conversion from face-to-face -face teaching to online teaching has presented problems. Our teachers have been absolutely amazing, but they themselves have had to struggle with, you know, sitting in front of a computer for seven hours a day, delivering and engaging children, as well as, you know, dealing with their own circumstances. We have a number of young teachers, we have a number of teachers from overseas who were having to, you know, suppress their own emotions they were really worried about their family members um, and themselves as well so it has been tough um, it's been tough on our children sure. um, they've gone from having freedom to restricted freedom and you can only just imagine what it would be like to be living in a in, in a in, in you know in substandard accommodation with a whole load of people vying for internet internet access vying for a space to study it's been tough. I, bet. I mean, for, for, yeah. all, for, for the majority of people, I think um, they would say, well, m most people would have Wi-Fi, right? I mean, like, or, or have access to the internet. Like, in terms of the demographics of your school, would you say that's not a common thing? No, absolutely not. Um, so one of the things that we had to do was to provide mobile dongles um, and um, computer hardware. So every child had was given, sorry, um, a laptop or an iPad. Um, with internet access so that they could access the online learning. Um, you know, I'm really angry at present with the government and the whole free school meals yeah. situation. Um, families need this support. Um, it's not going to go away. And, and, and a bonus payment at Christmas, well, what about now? What about this half term? Sure. I mean, like, uh, look, obviously, I think, I think a lot of people would say to that, every year the students will go without free meals over half term and the holidays like just um, without kind of sounding too obvious but what, why do you think it's extra important this year that we obviously feed these children over half term because so many families have had a drop or a loss of income mm. you know this lockdown and, and and the economic repercussions it's been absolutely huge and particularly for our school um, you know, with, with the hospitality and entertainment industry closing, they were the main um, um, employers for, for many of our families. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, 
I mean, it, you obviously said you're quite angry with the government. I mean, I, I, I completely don't understand why the government would say no to giving free meals. I mean, they had the, the help to buy, help to eat scheme for, for a month over August where they paid for half of everyone's meals to go eat out, but they can't feed hungry children. I mean, I just can't like work out the logic behind their rationale. I, I'm really, really struggling. But what I would want to say is that there are companies out there. So, for example, faux restaurants um, who are providing 6,000 free lunches for children um, over the half term. Wow. So, you know, in the midst of all of this, you've got companies with a strong moral and ethical compass who are doing their bit. It's just a pity that our government aren't supporting the children in the way in which they should. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, in an ideal world, what would you want the government to do? Like, what, what could they do to, to help schools and, and help these students that come from sort of less fortunate backgrounds? I mean, what could they do? I think the immediate priority is to make sure that families have access to an income and by default have access to, to food and to, and, and to, and to resources to, to pay for essential services such as gas and electricity. Um, I know the government put in an initiative um, to ensure that landlords were not evicting families. But I'm yet to be convinced that, you know, um, unfair practice um, is not taking place. Sure. I mean, I, I almost sometimes look at everything that the government's doing and it's almost to protect the bigger businesses and um, stop people from going out of jobs and um, to, to keep the big businesses afloat. But it's almost like the little man is kind of penalised in some ways because trying to get, I mean, I, I had to at one point try to see if I can get universal credit, but they said I had to leave my company. Um, they said I had to go out and work and I was like, look, I've got a business to run and I, unfortunately I can't do that. And it was so difficult to get universal credit. I mean, for those families that need that immediate income, I mean, it's like, what, what, what can the government do other than universal credit to, to try to support these families? I think they need to immediately look at some um, locally administered um, relief schemes and schools can support with that. You know, we, we know the families, we have the, the information. Um, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that the young people that we are educating, the young people that we're trying to support, will be the workforce of the future. Exactly. It, it's nonsensical to, to, to you know, to, to not support um, our, our children. No, absolutely. I mean, what, what, what do you think the future of education looks like? I mean, what, where do you see it going in the next year, in the next three years? One thing I can say is that teachers are a resilient bunch. You know, we've had a hard press. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, different parts of the media have taken, um, you know, swipes at us. Um, the, um, the interesting character, Katie Hopkins, came out with some pretty awful um, attacks upon the profession. What would education look like? Who can say, we don't know whether we're going to go back into another lockdown. I can say from my own school perspective that if we do go into a lockdown, we can immediately switch to online learning. Um, but we know that yeah, but online learning isn't the answer. Children need yeah. to have that social interaction. They need to have that one-to-one -one feedback. They need to have... School isn't just about GCSEs and A-levels. It's also about... So, you know, the processes of learning social skills around developing resilience. Um, 
absolutely. We, as, as a professional, would do as much as we can um, via remote learning. Um, but the landscape is very rocky at present. It, no one can predict. Uh, how difficult is it to teach online? I think... <laughs> Where's the difficulties like? I, I think for, for teachers, it's about being sat in front of a screen um, for a long period of time um, and staying motivated. Um, <laughs> similarly, um, in terms of children, I think, you know, some of the challenges um, certainly initially were around accessing, uh, but when we were able to overcome that, um, maintaining um, the children's interest. There is something really special about the, the human connection within the classroom that you just cannot replicate online. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I went to um, Arkbridge Free School on Thursday and uh, I've done an enrichment day. So I was speaking with like, this is the first time I've interacted with 30 students in one go. And it was a fantastic experience. I mean, it's so rewarding to see them talking about their lives and things that they're not confident about. And that, that difference that you can make to them um, just by giving them certain advice and being there for them to, to listen to and speak to. And um, I mean, that I mean, you just won't get that level of connection like over, over um, sort of teaching them online or interacting oh. with them over the phone. I mean, like how, like, I mean, how important is it for students to get back into full-time learning as soon as possible? It, it's absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And as I said earlier, it isn't just about the exams at the end of year 11 or, or year 13. It's about those wider skills, the skills of, you know, relationship forming, um, developing social skills, developing resilience, actually having that human contact. Um, so 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 important you know the emotional well-being of children um is something that i think has been significantly underestimated in all of the big political debates you know we know there's been a rise um in safeguarding referrals we know that the mental health of the mental health and well-being of young people um has suffered as a result of isolation um compounded with other factors that children and their families are having to face yeah it's it's insane isn't it um yeah it's, it's absolutely insane i mean like what what does it mean like for for a school perspective though i mean like are budgets even tighter are there more more things that you have to be wary about how hard is it from a senior leadership level to be operating in a school at the moment okay i have to pay tribute to our principal um ashidali who has over the years really demonstrated phenomenal um, financial skills which has meant that the school financially is in a very healthy position that has meant that we've not had to worry about providing for for children um, in, in terms of hardware for equipment in terms of resources but I do know of colleagues in the sector who are really struggling with um, school budgets which are shrinking and with limited reserves and resources so it is a mixed picture of course i mean budgets are quite tight within school usually on the best of years aren't they yeah. i mean what has it been about this year that has made the budgets even tighter certainly around staffing um you know where teachers have had to self-isolate um and other staff have had to self-isolate you know you still have to run a school it still has to be safe and so the impact will have been around staffing budgets um, the impacts will have been around consumable budgets and equipment budgets. You know, 
providing laptops. You know, the government laptop scheme. We got ten laps. Got we got sorry, ten lap, uh, laptops given to us by the government. For your students. Yes. <laughs> Just to obviously make everyone aware, how many students go to London Enterprise Academy? Um, around four hundred and fifty. And how many of them would have needed laptops? Three hundred. Yeah, so that you, you received 10. I mean, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a big problem sometimes with what the government says that they're going to do. I mean, in, in hindsight, it sounds fantastic. But when it actually comes down to, to actually making a difference, they don't. It, it, it doesn't, unfortunately. And it's like, how, how do you pick the 10 that need the laptop the most, you know? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. We were really grateful. So thank you, DFE. Um, <laughs> we will we'll gratefully accept but the reality is that again if, if you're working in an area where there is um, a high level of deprivation people don't necessarily have access to technology and also don't forget that where you have um, families where they have um, um, two three four children um, sometimes it isn't around the internet connectivity um, it's actually ha having access to a device now, if you've got a child in year seven, a child in year eight, and perhaps somebody in key stage two, you can't all share the same device at the same time. So, you know, there, there are practical considerations. But I know of families where um, two or three households have been sharing the same internet. Sharing um, the same internet? Yeah. That's insane. I mean, so, so what's the answer? I mean, of course, it's really difficult to say because we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. I mean, when it first happened, I thought we were going to go back after Easter holidays last at the beginning of this year. So, I mean, it's now six months later and, and, and we're still sort of in the pandemic. I mean, we've probably got another six months to go, but what, what, what can we do now? Or what, is, what do we need to start doing to try to make things better? I think at a local level, um, schools do have in place um, what they need to do in order to provide continuity okay. um, to children and, 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 and to provide support to children. So I think at a local level, you know, schools have reacted exceptionally, um, you know, res responsively and um, yeah, and, and you know, I'm talking to um, other colleagues up and down the country, um, it's, it's amazing to hear um, how schools have responded. I think in terms of, you know, going forward, um, and I'm sure people are going to say, yeah, 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 we hear this all the time. But if we are going to truly maintain a standard of education, then we need the resourcing. Okay, 10 laptops isn't going to cut it. Sure. Okay. Um, where schools don't have the budget, um, we need to ensure that schools have access to, to equipment for children to use. We need children to be fed as well. Um, we need children to be clothed and to be kept warm. Um, we need support within social care um, so that when things do go wrong in the family, that there are enough social workers to respond to the needs of children in need. Yeah. I mean, I... it isn't just about the learning, it's about that wider support requirement that children and families need in order to to get through what are outrageously difficult times absolutely absolutely i mean listening to all of that i think i think if anybody was looking to get into teaching they'll probably be really scared to get into teaching now right i no, mean no, no, no. let me be really really clear okay teaching is the best job in the world <laughs> it, it really is i love your it, enthusiasm 
No, no, no. It really is. Um, yeah, there are some days you come home, you're thinking, why am I doing this? Oh, my God. But there are other days. So, you know, I'm thinking back to, to last Friday with my year seven English class who are just off the scale amazing who come out with the most <laughs> but, but with the most bizarre things at times <laughs> who um who absolutely make your day look it, it's tough teaching in the inner london is tough um we're not just teachers we're social workers we're quasi police officers we're counselors um we're anything that we need to be in order to make sure that children remain paramount and essential to the process but it is still an absolutely rewarding career and even on those tough days where you're thinking I'm not sure I can do this anymore if you step back and reflect and just think about what you are doing and that and, and it really is about you know um, working some amazing sometimes difficult sometimes interesting young people um, it's about creating a future. And yes, on one level, that sounds a bit cheesy, but that really is the reality. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So doesn't matter what you've heard, okay? Um, teaching really, really, really is the, the, the absolute best job in the world. And um, I still get a buzz every day and I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what kind of advice can you give to anybody that's maybe looking to get into teaching or somebody that's do, maybe doing their PGCE at the moment? Like, what, what advice would you give them? How do they survive this? Right. You have to teach for the right reasons, okay? And I don't know if anybody has seen the film Bad Teacher. It isn't about long holidays or no accountability. Okay, you are accountable. And yes, you do get more holidays than some of your contemporaries, okay? Um, but it's still hard work, okay? Primarily, you have to like young people yeah. and you have to be prepared to think out of the box and be creative beyond your wildest dreams. For anybody doing a PGCE right now, I would say hold your nerve and find a school where you feel that you will be able to make a contribution. Um, and when you get in there, roll your sleeves up and enjoy it. Okay, yeah, just enjoy, idea, immerse, it? Yourself. enjoy. immerse yourself in the chaos and the madness and the creativity and, and the brilliance that children demonstrate on a daily basis. Yeah. Enjoy it. I mean, I, 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 I mean, how disheartening is it when you have so much passion and you, you clearly, it, it, it's so infectious, right? It oozes out of you. And it, it's, I mean, this is the first time we've spoken in person, well, albeit virtually, but uh, it's the first time we've spoken sort of face to face. And it, it's, it, it's very, very clear to me that how, how passionate you are about teaching. I mean, literally your enthusiasm, like I said, is very infectious. I mean, how disheartening is it when you try to do everything from your side and you don't have that support from the government? It's about remembering why you're there. And the bottom line is, I'm there for the children, the families and the community that I serve. And yes, you get irritated hugely from time to time with people who, wouldn't, who don't have a clue about what it's like to teach 
let alone teaching in the city school. But you have to put that to one side. And it comes back to why you chose to be a teacher. Okay? The rest of it is immaterial. When you're in that classroom with those children and you're giving your absolute best, at the end of the day, I'm not really interested in what the government has to say. My focus is on the children, their learning, their development. Um, and, um, and, and in turn, um, you know, yeah, it's um, the, the rewards you get are amazing. So don't focus on the negatives. We're not going to change government overnight. Okay, We're not going to change public opinion overnight. But what we can do is get ourselves into these classrooms and change lives and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're obviously a deputy principal, and I think, um, I think hopefully a lot of the viewers that will be watching this um, will probably be PGC students or people that are looking to get into teaching. I mean, you've obviously gone from from obviously um, starting your career as a, as a trainee like everybody else, right? And you've worked up to deputy principal. I mean, what, what do you think that you've done to make yourself stand out? And, and what do you look for with your now employee and teachers for your school? Okay, what have I done to stand out? I don't know. Um, I've, probably, <laughs> I've probably irritated a few heads and principals along the way. Um, I've held the faith. And I've held on to the fundamental belief that every child can be educated, that every child deserves a right, and every child deserves a chance. And I think that, I think those, those guiding principles that have kept me grounded um yeah yeah fantastic i mean and, and what kind of and what what do you look for within like what do you look for for t in teachers that sort of applying for roles at your school or with okay. yeah right so i mean i've already said this you've got to like children you've got to like teenagers particularly the cheeky chippy ones okay. <laughs> there's loads of them yeah okay you have to demonstrate creativity and passion okay not only for your subject, but for um, you, you need to be able to demonstrate that you're going to commit to the wider school life. Okay, you know you're not just a teacher. You you wear a number of hats. Um, you don't rock up at eight thirty in the morning and walk out at four thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, what what, I, what I'm looking for are teachers who are prepared to commit to the school and teachers who are going to, who are prepared to go above and beyond. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, we're, um, especially the newer generation that I find, it maybe it's less so in teaching, but I think it is as well, because I speak to a lot of teachers and sometimes it's, it's about, I want to work till at 3.30, I want to go home and then not think about school. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't work that way. I think like what, what I'm trying to get at is, you have to go above and beyond. If you really want to be successful and you want to kind of progress in your career, you have to go above and beyond. It's not just about your individual work. It's about how are you going to benefit the whole um, company or the whole school in, uh, in teaching perspective. I mean, how many teachers do you see often that will just think of it? I'm going to go home at three thirty, four o'clock and I don't think about school. And how, like, how do they compare to the ones that have progressed to senior level like you have? Okay. There are hundreds of thousands of teachers who go above and beyond every single day. Okay. Um, and certainly in my school, um, they're not clock watchers. Um, 
you know, you're having to forcibly remove people from the building uh, because they're still working late. It's really important that you get a work-life balance. Yeah. Okay, and one of the things that our principal is really good at is supporting staff welfare and staff well-being. In what way? So through simple things such as providing um, comfort kits in the staff bathroom, um, through to free breakfasts, through to um, um, protected planning time, through to um, a, 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 um, an early finish on a Friday, to um, making sure that class sizes are low, making sure that um, marking um, and, and data collection um, is periodically um, scheduled across the term rather than expecting everybody to, you know, mark and data data capture feverishly. Um, you do have to get your work-life balance, but you also have to accept that teaching isn't, a, it's not a nine to five job. You know, I can be sat there on a Sunday and something pops up on the television and I'm, like, and I'm scrambling to find the remote so I can record it. So perhaps I can use that in a lesson. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, this isn't an office job. Um, this is a job that requires you to, to give a bit of yourself. And if you give a bit of yourself, you're going to get more back in return. Amazing. I mean, and, and what's next for you, Dave? Like, I mean, you're obviously a deputy principal. Do you ever want to become principal one day? Do you want to run a school? Oh, I don't know. When I, when I, look, at the, when I look at my head and um, how some days how tired he looks, um, no. I don't know. Maybe. Never say never. Um, if I did, I'd still want to be teaching. Um, I'm really, really sure about that. Um, I don't know, is the answer. Um, a number of my colleagues are saying, oh, you, should, you know, you should apply for headship. We'll see. We'll see. I love what I do. Um, I love the children. I love the buzz of the classroom. But um, never say never. Yeah, of course. I mean, you just brought up a really good point, actually, um, which we'll finish up on if that's OK. But um, you sort of said... Uh, You've made it very clear that you want to stay within the classroom. Now, obviously, that would imply that as you become more sort of as you progress and you, you kind of go on to becoming a senior leader as an assistant head, a deputy head, you kind of move away from the classroom. And, and ultimately, when you start your career as a teacher, that's where that's where your passion lies. Right. Um, and how, how common is it for schools to take that away from you? And, and for teachers to kind of sometimes when they become deputy head teachers or head teachers to lose sight of the front line and how hard or difficult it can be because, because sorry, to, but I think sometimes teach from a teacher's perspective, they can look at senior leaders getting considerable, a lot more money, but the teachers are on the front line teaching every day and they're doing the hard work. I mean, what would you say to that? I can't think of any teacher, that, any head teacher or deputy head teacher that I know that doesn't teach. Um, our own principal teaches um, a small timetable. I teach um, a timetable each week. Um, I think in order to, to lead, you have to demonstrate. And I agree. You know, when, when I was at school, we never saw our head teacher. Um, she was um, locked up in her office somewhere in the admin wing and you only got to see her when you were in trouble, as sometimes I was, but <laughs> less of that. Um, 
No, I think I think it's really important that you, you know you you talk the talk, you walk the walk. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. I mean, do you, do you have any kind of questions, or is there anything that else you'd like to to get across in in terms of obviously during our chat? Because I think a lot of this is to, to give teachers a voice, you know, and obviously you've demonstrated a little bit of frustration towards how things have been run by the government. Um, I think your enthusiasm speaks for itself in terms of why you're a teacher. Um, and you've given some great advice for the future generation. I mean, is there anything that you'd want to add to, to the, like your advice or anything you'd like to say to them? Absolutely. So I think the first thing I have to do is to give a plug for the Chartered College of Teaching. Okay. And I would encourage um, all teachers to to become members of the Chartered College. Um, it's a great organisation. I'm very proud to be a founding fellow of the Chartered College. Um, it provides a voice for teachers as well as a professional platform um, so that teachers' voices can be heard as well. I would also say to beginning teachers to join a union. Um, I'm not going to specify which one. Um, but it's really important that, again, your voice is heard and that you are supported um, by a professional body. Fantastic. I really appreciate your time, Dave. I mean, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you, um, you. especially you being at such a top level within the teaching profession. I think anybody that's looking to get into teaching or early on in their career, um, obviously, they'd love to hear from you. So I really appreciate you taking time out and speaking to us. It, it's very kind of you to lavish me with uh, with the accolade of being at top level in, in education. You cut me in half and what you're going to find, a bit like a rock, is teacher. Um, Takeaway titles, um, I am proud first and foremost to call myself a teacher and um, I would never ever want to lose sight of that. Fantastic. No, I love it. I mean, it's amazing, especially progressing in your career the way you have to still have that love for teaching it's phenomenal because you you do unfortunately it's so sad because statistics show that there's so many teachers that leave within the third and fourth year after qualifying and it's really sad because there's a lot of teachers that leave the profession but i mean the future of our economy it depends on people have sort of that, that passion remaining within them and and for them to keep wanting to teach these kids and um it's hard because even from a recruiter's point of view, like when I'm speaking to senior leaders and a lot of the time they're like, we want uh, people that are young, enthusiastic or early in their career that we can mold and you know, these things. And it kind of sometimes leaves the, the teachers that are from like the earlier generation um, kind of thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm outpriced, you know, like I'm, I'm too expensive for schools. I mean, how difficult is it for those teachers? I mean, like to, to keep that motivation, especially if they haven't progressed to the level you have, and then to stay within the teaching profession to keep that, that passion in them. You know, I, I, I often, I've, I've often thought about maybe what it would be like just to go back into the classroom and to go back into a primary school and for example, teach year two, um, something which, you know, I, I, I absolutely, it was one of the highlights of my career. Um, teaching in um, in infants um, I guess um, for older teachers th th there is that consideration around what you're going to cost them because an NQT is a lot cheaper than somebody who perhaps who, who like myself now would be on UPS3 yeah. if I went back as a classroom teacher which is about 49,000 uh, pounds a year compared to 30,000 right so it's just uh, that's a lot of money in a school budget absolutely um, 
So, yeah, but what I would say is I think a good school has a mixture of experienced staff yeah. and, and new beginners. You know, let's not get caught up in the trap of thinking that somebody who's been in the classroom 20, 30 years, um, you know, is the best practitioner. Um, you know, you could be an NQT plus one and you could go into a school and make a phenomenal impact. impact. Conversely, it's really important that we don't write off the people who have been teaching a long, long time, you know, because for many of us, we're not dinosaurs. You know, we're still, we're, we're still able to, to roam the Jurassic school and make an impact. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think it's about keeping an open mind. Um, and I think it's about valuing new entrants and people who have been doing it for a considerable amount of time. No, absolutely. I think so. I mean, it's always a shame because some of those teachers that are sort of in the latter part of their career, they, they just love to teach. And sometimes because they might not be as enthusiastic or, well, as in something, you know, it's not even about the enthusiasm. I think what it comes down to sometimes, it's um, not having that, um, like the, the, newer, the newer teachers tend to have this different dynamic approach to teaching sometimes. And I think like in some of the teaching staff for the, the older generation, they might be a little bit dated. And that's what I think schools tend to worry about when they're recruiting the older teachers. I mean, but not all of them are like that. So it's hard. Certainly in our school, um, we have a comprehensive CPD program for all, for all teaching staff. Um, that includes senior leaders um, along the spectrum to people who are literally straight out of college. So there is that consensus in terms of teaching practice and that consensus in terms of, you know, expectations and standards. Um, again, you know, older teachers have, uh, can make um, a massive contribution to a staff team as well as new entrants. So again, what I would say is it's really important that you judge the individual, okay, and that you look beyond um, the presenting person. And funny enough, that's what we do as teachers. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, practicing what we preach. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's easier said than done, but I mean, that's amazing, David. I mean, you, you've gone through so much with us and um, I really appreciate your time. We'll finish up there if that's okay. But I mean, you, you've, you've obviously, um, you've given us such an in-depth sort of view from your side. I mean, it, it's been a, 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 an absolute ple uh, pleasure to have you on. I mean, you're, you're a great guy. I mean, you've got so much about you and I can see why you have progressed to where you have. And no, I really appreciate you taking some time out to speak to us. My absolute pleasure. And everybody, don't forget, teaching is the best job in the world. Let's leave, yeah, love it. Let's leave it on that then. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for your time, David. Thank you. Have a good day. Yes, bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for watching this week's episode. And thank you, Dave, for coming on. Again, guys, as usual, if you do like the episode, please give us a like, a subscribe, um, and see you guys next week.